Broadcasting live from a Miami hotel room, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. Hello, I'm here this week again. It's Ricardo. It's me. Hi. <laughs> God. Oh, how you doing, boys? How 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 are how are things going? Garrett, welcome back. We missed you last Thank week, you. but we're Garrett's here. Yeah, Garrett's back. We're, we're I'm I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on all WandaVision. I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts on our main segment, One Night in Miami. Is that what but... we were doing? I watched the well, music video to One Night in Bangkok. Was that was I not supposed to do that? Honestly, that is a great <laughs> song and music video. I'm not not gonna lie to you. But before we get into One Night in Miami or that great song, why don't we jump into some news? We actually have some some breaking news here to start us off. Well, breaking news for when we're recording, not oh yeah, two day I, old news or day old news. For I guess when you guys are listening. Yeah, everybody already heard about this, but. As of, like, ten minutes before we started recording here, we got word that Larry King has passed away at 87 years old. I mean, you want to talk about a titan. Yeah, man. He has been around for so long. He's an icon, really. An American icon. Yeah, just a, a broadcasting legend for sure. He's come up through so much in just, like, the evolution of television and how... His show has like stuck on for so long is a testament to to him as a as a host. But like you said, Ricardo, he he's just like famous for being himself so much. He just he makes cameos in so much. He he's got a great sense of humor too. He's in a lot of comedy stuff as himself. Larry King is one of those people that for whatever reason my brain just kind of assumed, oh yeah, he's gonna live forever. He's gonna be around always. And I yeah, I can see that. I kind of uh, thought the same thing as well. He's just like been around for so long and he's I mean God, my man yeah. my man's is on Gravity Falls. Yeah, wait, did he actually do yeah. his own voice on Gravity Falls? Yeah, that's him. Damn. He's the wa- he's Wax Larry King. Yeah. Exactly. There's yeah. a funny story with that where they found out very quickly that if you just wrote whatever you wanted on a piece of paper and put it in front of Larry King, he would say it. <laughs> so they had a lot of fun <laughs> with that one on that show. Oh man. Wait. Larry, I'm on Gravity Falls. <laughs> <laughs> God, he he was on uh wasn't he on 30 Rock too? Oh, he's in one of the best episodes of 30 Rock where it's there's a market scare and Tracy is on Larry King and instead of leaving because he doesn't know anything about the economy, he starts scaring everybody into a panic <laughs> and he he's like um, leading the people at 30 Rock to his like stashed cash, right? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, it's always moving, but it's always in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you have you have insane recall. Did you just watch and, that? No, but it's just one of the best episodes of 30 Rock, because you've got the whole Jack has to go in and, like, try to fix the market before they open in the morning. Oh, right. And then Kenneth and Liz are trying to get Liz's phone cell back, phone right? back, yeah. which has some incriminating pictures on it. It's a, it's a good episode, and Larry King's really funny on it. He's just, he, he was forget, such a funny man. Let's not forget B. Larry King. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, God. You like jazz? I, I totally remember. forgot about, no, I, I had blocked it out, apparently, but it's all coming back to me now. 
so yeah, he definitely leaves behind a legacy. He lived a long, good life, 87 years old. You know, I'm sure we'll be talking about him for decades to come. And Absolutely. Betty White lives on. I don't know who this person is. She's that weird pop next. star, isn't she? Yeah, you don't know Jojo Siwa? I, I do not. Oh, wait, yes, I do. Okay, yes, I'm connecting dots now. Obsessed sure. with bows. She's like a teenage, started off as like a kid's she's entertainer. Always, she's always rocking like a side pony. Yeah. And she looks 11, even though she's an adult. Yeah, she looks like she's from a 90s mall ad, I feel like. Which a lot of people yeah, okay. have kind of crapped on her for I say she's not hurting nobody. She's only 17. Let her do what she wants. I really don't know what to say about this piece of news, though. I feel like I don't know enough about her as a person or as an entertainer. Yeah, I, it, I literally didn't weird know who if she was did. when she was brought up. News? Well, I've, the news? I'm the only news? one here that's been to a JoJo Siwa concert. Why? Not of my own volition, oh, no. But I did get paid to be there. Oh, I do did remember you talk to her this, in the elevator? Dude. Yeah, I used to work at a theater in Milwaukee in the before times. And during this time, you know, Jojo Siwa was coming to Milwaukee to perform over at the where they have Summerfest. And they were looking for people to kind of stand out there, you know, and work. And I like money, so I decided to be there. So I, I technically have been to a Jojo Siwa concert. It was, it was scary. There were so many small children, so many bows and bright colors. I don't even know what to say. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> Is that why you have been wearing a bow in your hair for like four years now? <laughs> I miss yeah. my job. <laughs> I I mean, good for, good for her. Good for, you know, it's good for young people to have out LGBT icons that they can look up to. And I mean, like, I don't know anything about her, but. Good, good for her. Good yeah. for her. Good for America. Good for whatever. Big, yeah, I totally agree. With you. Big. She's huge with kids, and now that she's like out and proud, I think that's a good step forward for, uh, I guess, just like society. I don't know. Good for her. That's all we gotta say, really. Yeah, gen- generally what positive, else? good stuff. What else we got? Well, we know we said we would probably stop talking about these sooner or later, just because if we only covered movie delays that would be our entire podcast like if we covered every movie delay it would be our entire podcast but there are a couple of big heavy hitters almost like every movie that is slated for release at some time in the next four months has been pushed um disney hasn't made their big pushes yet but i imagine we'll see that within the week but like bond got pushed to october 8th now which is like the fifth release date it's had the Ghostbusters Afterlife and the Uncharted movie have also been pushed. And so, you know, Damn. release dates are going to keep changing. I'm sad about I'm exactly glad that... two of those. <laughs> uh, what if Uncharted just never comes out? What if it just keeps getting delayed forever? Yay. It, it'll be like New Mutants where it'll just like quietly get squeaked out into like VOD and no one will ever, ever hear about it again. It gets released as super late DLC for Uncharted 4. <laughs> it's a PS5 exclusive, baby, Ricardo. Don't even, oh, don't even. God. PlayStation Plus members only. Yeah, I don't know. We're, I, I had assumed every movie ever was in that weird HBO Max deal, and I just kind of like 
You checked yeah, out. Yeah, I was just like, oh, sure, everything was pushed, and now everything is going to be available for me in my living room. Cool. Well, Bond was, like, the first movie that considered doing that, really. I remember I was talking about it months ago. And now the vaccine is getting rolled out a little bit, and they're they're getting spooked that they could maybe get away with a theatrical release in October? Is that why this stuff is getting pushed? I think, genuinely, I actually think that an October release for Bond is very practical to make the amount of money that a Bond movie should make. Is that based on, like... Like, I, I, I think the fact that that is around the time... Because Bond was smart, and they are the first big movie to, like, stake claim, I think, right around the time that people are actually going to be really, truly comfortable going to things again, assuming the vaccine timeline that Fauci and the Biden administration have kind of rolled out in the last couple days is accurate. I mean, here's hoping, man. I... I... I want to say I've seen every Daniel Craig, James Bond in the theater as it stands now, and I always enjoy... Were you six years old going to... Casino Royale? Casino Dude, Royale? I, I didn't get a lot from that movie, yeah, I think, man, the first time I, I saw it. Yeah, I imagine you would. Yeah. That is a dark oh, movie. Oh, yeah, they torture him. I feel like I remember... Oh, I was coming somebody... at it from the perspective of, like, what six-year-old knows how to play poker? I barely know followed that movie. So I don't know how to well, play I mean, poker. I knew the stakes were high. I knew that that was like the first time I'd ever seen Mads Mikkelsen in anything. And I was like, this guy, this guy is something. Again, you were like six. Dude, so when did sure. that movie come out? I'm sure I wasn't actually six. Okay, so hold on. It's like 2005. Casino Royale. Right? Yeah, cause, oh no, Casino Royale came out in 2006. So I would have been so eight years old? It was... R- it was right after your eighth birthday, because it came out on November seventeenth. I I can almost guarantee I saw that in theater because I also remember somebody telling my parents like, "Oh yeah, just you know, cover cover their eyes during the torture scene or something." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." And then the torture scene came, and it's it's pretty brutal, but it's not like it's they're really cutting bad. his fingers off or something. They're just like whipping him no, in the worse. the bullocks. I mean, it's it's still pretty For bad, a- but. Yeah, for an eight-year-old, Shavis. I was a pretty hardened eight-year-old, apparently. I was... <laughs> apparently. Bring it on. I also don't think... Because that was the first one. I don't know if anybody knew the tone of how dark they were going to get. I had watched, like, old Bond movies at that point, I'm sure. And been like, oh, it's fun. James Bond is just, like, sleeping around his missions and using fun gadgets. And then, then it got real serious. Well, speaking of hardcore eight-year-olds... Willy Wonka. I, I, That's a transition. <laughs> that I, I don't. This ever is a weird one. Hear about hardcore eight-year-olds ever again? I'm, yeah, maybe, I'm maybe not. Uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like the energy uh, we've created in the studio today. <laughs> in the studio that is two respective rooms and a closet. <laughs> I resent that my closet isn't respective, but... Well, it's not a room, is really what I'm getting at. I guess it technically it's a closet or a room. No, shut up. Yeah, Where, this ain't um, that kind of what podcast. What room? Let us know in the comments below. Oh, what a weird call to action. Whatever. Willy Wonka. Well, tell me about it. I'm yeah. very curious about how they're going to Logan this, this weird character. Well, they're starting by just calling it Wonka. Which is, I mean, I guess that's a better option than Willie. Yeah. So they got that going for him. William. And so William no one Wonka. Knows what this movie's about. 
So coming in March 2023 is a Willy Wonka origin film from Paul King, the director of Paddington's 1 and 2. So a really solid director. Yeah, and honestly, if there was if there was any director that I would be interested in seeing a vision of Willy Wonka from, it would be him. I'm still pretty unenthused at the prospect of another Wonka film, but I'm open to see what they've got. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't care at all. But then you know that Paul King name drop, and suddenly, okay, there might there might be something to this. I mean, I wholesome. It could be good. It's probably aiming to get you know a little higher acclaim than the Tim Burton one, which you know probably won't be too hard. I mean, that movie. Are you saying this isn't a direct prequel? I will say, I was just thinking about, there is a little bit of an origin story in that one, where he's got, like... Oh, yeah, like, half of that movie. Yeah, his his dad's, like, the dentist. There's that fantastic joke about the Hall of Flags, (laughs) him just, like, walking down a Hall of Flags, making it look like he's traveling, and... Yeah, that is a good joke. I forgot about that. That's one of my only favorite parts of that movie, is that joke. But... Do you guys have a Willy Wonka in mind? Oh, God, a young Willy Wonka... Um, I've seen people say Lakeith Stanfield, and you know what? I could see that. That sounds fun. Oh, that would he be cool. Would be so good. I would be. I'd be very wow. into that. Just like going a very different direction, trying to really, you know, kind of stake its own claim as a a new interpretation. I, I feel like if they're gonna go like, who's the guy from Fantastic Beasts? Could he do an American? Oh no! No, it should, not, I mean it I don't. I, I Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne. I, I, I mean, I like Eddie Redmayne, but no. Oh, I that would be insufferable. I don't think that would be like a like. I feel like that's something I could see if they're trying to pick like a a charming, okay looking younger guy to like be like the young spiffy Willy Wonka before he's as like wacky and crazy. But I, I wouldn't necessarily I think... like that choice very much. I think Lake Heath Stanfield is honestly, like, the best option I can think of. I feel like probably this is going to be a Chalamet movie, though. Yeah, that's kind of also oh. the way I was thinking. Same same rationale, just like, it's the young, kind of handsome, less wacky, it'll be his transition it's into young, his weird... Young, sexy Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically it. You want to have sex with Willy Wonka, right? That's why we made this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gene Wilde is looking pretty good in that purple coat, Ricardo. Don't, <laughs> don't I, w- kick I wonder the man, how they're going to handle know? the Oompa Loompas. Yeah, that's because they they made it in, in the in the Tim Burton one. Isn't it like literally an indigenous group from the jungle that he that's like? How it is yeah. in the book. Is it really? Well, that's what I love about the Gene Wilder one is that he has this really nice. Like, one of the few moments of sincerity from that character is he talks about how the Oompa Loompas were, like, a endangered people that were being hunted in their native land. And he said, like, in Loompa land is where they're from. Yeah, kind of gives it a little more he says, like, come with me and I will keep you safe in my factory. Like, I can make your lives better than being stuck here and being killed. Yeah. By vermicious canids or whatever he says. There's no way to do the Oompa Loompa that doesn't have overt colonialism ties to it, is there? 
but I do like that. The, but I do like that at least there is a like I agree with you, but there is a sense of uh, genuinely yeah. caring about them and trying to help them. Yeah. It, it, also, the it also idea of like Loompa them. Land is like it gives a little more of a mythological standpoint instead of like this very. Yeah, I was I was just about to say like it's a it's a good thing they made Oompa Loompas this like not real. Instead of sticking to the book where they were legit, like, pygmy African people. Because yes. even in the the Tim Burton one, like, all the actors are, like, the... The same guy. They're Deep Roy. Yeah. Oh, is it all the same guy? I thought it was... Yeah, it's all Deep Roy. Well, shit, never mind. Uh, Controversial he had to shoot opinion. Each scene, like, I dozens think of times. the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is, is okay. He's not great. He's just okay. I think that is a lot of people's opinion, man. <laughs> like, it's it's fine, but it's definitely not better than the original. There are definitely parts of the Burton one I like. I'll, I'll give it that. And there are lots of Tim Burton movies where I would find that hard to say. <laughs> like, newer Tim Burton movies. But I think there are aspects of it that are really charming and interesting. Um, I really like the scene at the end where Wonka comes home with Charlie. I think that's a great scene. If only Johnny Depp but, yeah. wasn't so weird in that movie. It really is. It is kind of like a lot of that movie. The problem is Johnny Depp. It really, truly I mean, he's, is. He's scary looking in that movie, and I don't know why they wouldn't do the more like like Gene Wilder is still like a like a super weirdo in his version, but he's not like. There's no knowing where we're going. Yeah, like <laughs> it's weird and freaky, but he's still like he doesn't have the weird like super uniform like chiclet teeth and like the complexion and haircut of that russian bad guy from the crystal skull you know well originally he was gonna have all kinds of prosthetics and stuff too and then the production was like no <laughs> but johnny depp really oh he, he demanded it that's so weird yeah, that, he that was, sounds about right well he was like i want to have a big long nose like the illustrations from the book when i was a kid <laughs> oh my like, god I kind of, if they leaned into it a little more like that, I think that would have only helped him be more whimsical instead of like, oh, he looks with like a solo, android. With this solo prequel movie, I think they, they will have nailed it if they strike that balance between whimsy and, oh, this man's a psychopath. Like, he's, <laughs> he's not well. Well, hopefully they hit the nail on the head this time. All right, we got a couple of pieces of Netflix news coming up. First, the Netflix CEO says that they hope to eventually pass Disney in terms of animation, which I have to say, no. Nope. Yeah, that's a oh, tall man. order, man. That's look at like you. look at the big balls on Netflix. <laughs> For real, like <laughs> I liked Klaus a lot, but they're gonna have to really step it up if if they're gonna make that goal like every other movie when they release one a week this year is going to have to be like a top-notch animation and that's nearly impossible and also i i think it's quaint to assume that netflix is going to be around long enough to rival disney in anything (laughs) because they're just so in debt like i i think netflix as an as an ip will stay around i think somebody will probably buy it out but like the fact that netflix thinks it's going to stay afloat long enough to rival Disney's hundred year history of high quality animation. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, especially in the era where Disney Plus is like one of the heaviest hitters and it's the newest major streaming service. The entire vault of animation 
they might not ever beat Disney, but I I will say I do like the way they're conducting business when it comes to animation. Like they give their department like an actual like some respect. Like they brought on a whole bunch of creators that people know. Uh, people like uh, Jorge Gutierrez, Craig McCracken, Alex Hirsch. It seems like they're giving them at least enough freedom to really do whatever they want. What which is cool and everything, and I'm excited for all the stuff they're producing. But yeah, there's no way they're gonna pass Disney ever. Yeah. I think you summed it up perfectly for me, Ricardo. Like, I really am impressed with the animation that Netflix has put out thus far, but they're talking about anime. Like, Disney is animation in a lot of, inter- like, in the industry. You know, obviously, scholars and people like us who have a passion for this medium know that there's a lot more going on, but, like, you're never going to be Mickey Mouse. Yeah, it's... What you got, Netflix? The letter N? You don't got a mouse? What are you gonna do? Netflix needs a mascot. That's what they need. Uh, Netty the Netflix. He's a net. Um... <laughs> Did you just say he's a he's, net? He, he's it's... a net. He's fo- He's filled with, like... St- uh, he's filled with DVDs. <laughs> on, um, I was gonna say, it's a net um, that keeps he... you trapped on the couch to binge-watch Friends all day. He He's offering you DVDs, and he's like... You watch this movie, so maybe you would like this movie. And then when you're like, oh, but do you have uh, Marvel? They're like, no, but I do have Hancock. <laughs> Is that the same? Oh, man. It's always Hancock. He doesn't have any other DVDs. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, uh, that's for free for you, Netflix. Netty of the Net, he's got, you know, no Blu-rays either, just DVDs. <laughs> yeah, he's full of Hancock DVDs. <laughs> No, nobody wanted him. He doesn't know how to get rid of them. It was a bad investment. Uh, but speaking of Netflix animation, they have picked up the new Lord and Miller animated film, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, which is which was produced by Sony Animation and was going to be distributed by Sony before being picked up for streaming by Netflix. I have been waiting for this goddamn movie to come out for so long. Yeah, this one's been in production for a long time. I remember the first trailer was like four years ago or something oh crazy. God. I'm just glad I finally get to see it, because I, I, I love Phil Lord and Chris Miller's work. And this particular movie is directed by Michael Rianda, the former creative director of Gravity Falls. Oh, nice. Oh, so this is yeah. right up your alley, Ricardo. Yeah, man, I'm going to love this movie. <laughs> when does it come out? Sometime in 2021. They still haven't dropped an official, like, th- it's going to be this day. I'm sure we'll do it for the show. And honestly, if Netflix is really serious about anima- like getting their animation name out there, I think it'd be smart for them to release it ASAP. Yeah, let's see, let's see what they can do now that they've, you know, they've set their goals. Let's see if they can get a little closer to it. The shame is, do you, you know what this movie's about? Not really. I mean, I like everything I'm hearing so far, but... What's it like? What's the actual rundown? Uh, just a bit is it's a family goes on a road trip, and while they're doing that, like the machines rise up, and it's basically Terminator. Like they've started a revolution. Oh my god! Yeah, the family's having problems. Uh, the daughter, she's like a stop motion film student. She got accepted to college, and they're going on a road trip to bond as a family one last time before she leaves. And uh oh, the robots have taken over. <laughs> That sounds fantastic. I, I really like that. And, you know, kind of knowing how Lord and Miller play their humor, I'm sure it's going to have, I don't know, 
I'm I'm all about the rise of the machines kind of apocalypse and the humor that they could draw out of that with like a family comedy animation angle. I'm sure it's gonna be very fun. All right, we've got one last piece of animated film news, which is that for, well, pres- yeah, oh no, it is animated confirmed. Okay, we've got one last piece of animated film news, which is that. Fortnite creator, I mean, like, they did lots of stuff other than Fortnite, but, you know, Fortnite creator Epic Games is making investment in feature films, starting with an animated film called Gilgamesh, which I can only assume is an adaptation of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is weird. Yeah, yeah right. That is that pretty weird. <laughs> what I would have thought for the Fortnite uh, developer. Because, like, there's an awful lot of prostitution in the is Epic that of true? Gilgamesh. I'm just gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know too much about this one or the legend itself. Is this going What if this is like a adult animated? No, what it I mean, I think I think that'd be interesting. I don't know. Here's the thing, just because Epic Games is investing in the I like Oh wait, I just realized Epic Games, Epic of Gilgamesh. Sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> just because See, Epic it Games all comes together. You know, just because Epic Games is going in on this doesn't necessarily mean that it's only going to be kid-friendly. Because, I mean, Epic Games, they're not just the Fortnite guys. They're behind Gears of War. They developed the Unreal Engine, which I'm assuming the Unreal Engine is part of the reason they're getting into this. Is that if you can animate video games that look so good in Unreal Engine, you know, like, how many games have been developed on Unreal Engine and look Mm. fantastic... You could make movies in Unreal Engine, too, I'd think. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how they play this one. Like you said, it's not the more typical legend that you would make an animated feature out of, but I don't know. The, the Unre- Like you said, the Unreal Engine can get some really good you know, product out of it, and Epic Games has a lot of money, man. They'll, they've given enough to it. They'll make something interesting. So not a Fortnite movie? They wouldn't want to start off. It, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little, like, promotion on Fortnite where you can get, like, a Gilgamesh skin or something. I don't know. You know how all the, the mm. kids, they love Gilgamesh? <laughs> <laughs> He's their favorite. Well, you can play as the Predator and the T-800 and Sarah Connor now. That just <laughs> popped up on my PlayStation News feed yesterday. Is that true? Why not Gilgamesh? Yeah. yeah. Join us I think they're doing some kind of like Twitch where we stream live Fortnite oh, games God. every every day. I still can't get behind it. I don't know, man. It's fun. I mean, like it's the fan, like the way it's blown up and the way it's become integrated into our culture is weird and annoying. But I mean, I think Fortnite itself is harmless and enjoyable. Yeah. It's nice that it's free and it's cross-platform. That's that's you the, know? the thing it's got going for it is it's free, and then the cross-platform definitely keeps the longevity going. I mean, it's been so big for a thousand years now. Is that right? It got big when we were freshmen. I think it's so, you know, we got it. We got to hop on. Oh my God. Where are we dropping boys? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, into our next piece of news, the Mortal Kombat movie. There's another one. Hey, they call me, they call me the master of, the audio transition. <laughs> that's what they... That's. They're making another one. Why? It's gonna be rated R, which is unsurprising. I don't, yeah. I don't care about Mortal Kombat, really. 
Um, the pictures look good. I can't believe they got Steve Harvey to... <laughs> I can't tell if that's a joke or not. Is Steve Harvey in the new Mortal Kombat movie? Hold on. Send you a picture. Can't believe you guys aren't up on this meme. It's all it's all clogged up with Bernie sitting in a chair memes. Wait, have they have we put it's in the chat. Have we put Bernie in the Mortal Kombat pictures yet? Could we be the first <laughs> Oh god. <laughs> We're memers now. Oh god, this guy playing Jax does kinda look like Steve Harvey. I mean, they could make anything good. Who? Steve Harvey? Yeah, that's the big that's the big meme that's been trending for a while. Everyone's just like, oh man, they got Steve Harvey to be in Mortal Kombat. I <laughs> can only imagine how Makad Brooks feels. <laughs> the, the mustache definitely adds. Um, have I, I mean... It's everything, man. The mustache, the teeth, he's bald. <laughs> he's got robot arms. You might as well be doing cosplay. <laughs> Steve Harvey cosplay. I have both of the original Mortal Kombat movies on Blu-ray sitting on my on my shelf right now. I have watched them exactly once each on that on those discs and never plan to watch them again. I mean, I genuinely believe that like th- they could make a good movie out of this. I mean, have I told you guys about um We Dance Through the Night? I don't know. So, I went to Theater Fest and I- this is going to be a long walk, but it's worth it, trust me. <laughs> I went to the Illinois State High School Theater Festival when I was in high school, and one year, my senior year, Glenbard East High School did a production called Wii, W-I-I, as in the Nintendo game console, Wii Dance Through the Night, which was a production with no dialogue or singing. It was all dance and music, and it was about, it was like Imagine the Nutcracker, but instead of getting a Nutcracker, she gets a Wii. Um, and all, she and all of her, like, 12 sisters are sucked into the Wii. And that's, like, they're game hopping. And I am not kidding. It is one of the best live performances I've ever seen in my life. Like, it sounds like a complete joke. This is not where I thought this was going. Yeah, me neither. I thought you were about to say it was a train wreck, because it sounds like one, but... Well, we all went to see it because we were like, there's no way this is gonna be any good, like, we were memeing <laughs> about it. And it was outstanding! Like, I was wow. genuinely emotionally invested in all of the characters, and one of the highlights of that show was, like, the second in command, like, obviously, so the girl, the oldest girl who gets the Wii, she's the main character, of course. But kind of like her second command is the second oldest sister. And she has a romance when they go through Mortal Kombat with Sub-Zero. And Sub-Zero decides to go with them on their quest to do whatever the quest is. I don't remember. Because I only got to see it once. Um, (laughs) And all the other nights were sold out. And he, you know, at the end of the show, when it's time for all of them to go back to the real world, they all jump through the TV portal. And she's like, come with me, Sub-Zero. And he's like, no, I can't. You you belong in that world, and I belong in this world. And then she goes, and then he sadly the... walks away from the portal. And you could, like, you could hear a pin drop in the audience. Everybody was so invested. <laughs> and then slowly, he turned back towards the portal. And the crowd lost their goddamn minds. What? What in the what, Pen? What I'm saying to you is, <laughs> they, if We Dance Through the Night 
could get me that invested in Sub-Zero with me knowing nothing about Mortal Kombat at all, anything can be good. But yeah, if you were at Glenbard East High School in 2015 and you want to come on the podcast and talk about We Dance Through the Night, please hit us up. I would, I, I, I want it. I'd love to hear more about this insanity. So yeah, sorry about that. they but... do the fatalities on stage? We, okay, I, I'm not going to sink any more time into this for this episode <laughs> because we're already running long on news, but we will talk more about We Dance Through the Night, at, if not on air, like, the three of us will discuss it later, because... You, it, you bet your ass I'm googling that play to see if there's any, like, trace of it online. Oh, I'll send you the Daily Herald article right now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll drop it in the Discord. Um, unfortunately, there is no existing recording of it. So, the only hope we would have is to do a restaging. Oh my god. <laughs> Track down the original cast. My god. <laughs> oh. oh, goodness. Alright, and one of my most excited pieces of news to finish us off here, the entirety of The Muppet Show is coming to Disney+. Plus. The hype has never been more real. Like, I haven't... Hell yeah, boy. I cannot wait. I haven't seen this show... In a long time. Like, I used to, you know, pick up episodes all the time here and there growing up, but I don't know. I'm very excited. I There's something about that damn Muppet show, man. I, it, it's so amazing, so timeless, so funny. It's iconic. It's really well made. This is the first time that the Muppet show will be available in high definition, and it's the first time that seasons four and five will be available in any capacity on home video. Wow. I, I can't wait. Do, do we have a, a date that it's dropping, or are they just, like, get hyped? It's I believe coming. it's February 16th. I will double-check that right now. Ooh. Yeah, I think you're right. February 19th. February 19th. Oh, why can't we get it three days earlier? <laughs> well, I, I cannot wait to go back through those classics. And, you know, like you said, seasons four and five, that'll be very new. It'll be, like, the un, the lost tapes. So yeah, we, I mean, maybe we'll talk maybe. about it on the show. We'll see, what, we'll see what's going on in February. Muppet month. <laughs> Muppet month. Just binge that show. It would be lovely. I mean, it would be a great watch. But yeah, no. Maybe this will teach Disney what to do with the Muppets, because they clearly have no idea. <laughs> I was a little surprised that they didn't announce this on Investor Day. It must have been like a closed deal really recently for them to have not tried to put it in with all that other Disney Plus news. Well, better late than never, I guess. I'm still excited to have it coming. Absolutely. But should we move on to our main segment? Let's do it. One night in Miami, dot, dot, dot. Man, what a movie. It's really, really good. Like, just off the bat, really stellar yeah, film. I was saying this before, it's been a while since I've had, like, a really solid drama like this to to sink my teeth into and maybe that's just my own personal habits in my movie watching but this was uh i don't know it was very refreshing to get this kind of movie yeah it is really good the acting is spectacular for a movie that's based on a play like you can tell but it doesn't have that same feeling of just like we're stuck in this room mm -hmm. that a lot of movies that are based mm -hmm. on plays do like, it feels like there's a vibrant world, a living world outside of 
where the characters happen to be at that moment. Like, I recently watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix, which is an amazing film. I, I was really taken with it, but it definitely has the feeling of, like, we are stuck in this studio, we are in a set, um, anytime we go outside for, like, three seconds, it's really weird-looking hazy green screen behind us, you know. Mm. And this does not feel like that, and I think it's a credit to the fact that Regina King, you know, Oscar-winning actress, this is her directorial debut, at least her feature directorial debut. She's directed a good amount of television, I think. But, man, what a way to enter the chat, you know? Yeah, my God. Mm -hmm. A a powerhouse film right off the bat is, is impressive, but this movie specifically was... Something else. She, it's they all. Everyone. All the actors should be so proud, and Regina King should be especially very proud. I didn't know Riley from the Boondocks could make a movie like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, we'll talk more about what a treasure Regina King is as we go on. But let's talk about this cast for a minute, because I mean, the premise is you have four legendary african-american figures in the 1960s that were all together for one night in miami in 1964 and malcolm x cassius clay pre muhammad ali jim brown and sam cook and i thought all four of the main actors performances were really impressive yeah i i didn't know a ton about jim brown and sam cook and honestly, um, Malcolm X too much personally, like them as people outside of their more famed accomplishments. But the acting in this film really painted a picture for each one of these characters and such, a, I don't know, vivid personalities in every single character, even though I didn't know maybe as much background information as, you know, the next person. But it, that did not take away anything from like how they portrayed these men. Yeah, you really get a sense for who everyone is. And these these are powerhouse performers. You barely even notice, like, even the length of this movie. Like, it was almost over by the time I realized, like, oh, it, I, I was so wrapped up in the movie and, like, the dialogue and stuff, I hadn't realized I was already, like, nearing the end. And I think among the four, the standout is probably Kingsley Benadire, who plays Malcolm X. I mean, all four of them are spectacular, but he is really, really good. If he's not nominated for an Academy Award, I do not know why. Because he's spectacular, especially for an actor that I had only ever seen in the Disney Plus original movie Noel before this. Oh my god. <laughs> um, That is not a good movie, but I'm not kidding you when I remember watching that movie and being like, this guy has star power because he's in a movie with Shirley MacLaine and Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader and he's the standout guy in this stupid movie. <laughs> Who does he play in Noel? He's the love interest. He's Anna Kendrick's love interest. Ooh, damn. Get it. Such a such a different character, I imagine. Oh, certainly. <laughs> Get it, Kingsley. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, he he was such a big focal point of everything that was happening in this movie and you could really get 
such an honest sense of that, like, all that desperation, that that panic and that fear about, like, moving forward in such a drastic way away from something that Malcolm X was so ingrained in at the time. So I think the way he, I don't know, the way he handled that kind of fear in that character really impressed me a lot. Yeah, it's... It's definitely a breakout performance. I am really excited to see what he does next. But then we've also got Eli Gorey playing Cassius Clay, who I had never seen in anything before. I guess he is a regular on Riverdale, I think. Huh. Oh my god, is that right? So, yeah, that, like, I'm, here, let me pull up his... His I am to be, yeah, he's a regular on Riverdale. He's a regular on Ballers, the, the Rock HBO show, which... Somebody must watch. I do not. Damn. Um, what? What a glow up! Yeah, I mean, he is also spectacular in this film. Aldous Hodge plays Jim Brown, who we talked about on the show recently when he w- he was in The Invisible Man, of course. That's right. Yeah. And then, I mean, definitely the most famous of the four leads is Leslie Odom Jr. You know, from Hamilton, the biggest show in the world. Um, but I met him. Did you really? Where did you meet him? Yeah, this was again back in my. I used to work in a theater days. I was an elevator operator, and this elevator was located like backstage, so he would pop in there to try to get to his room. So I was in a very small box with Leslie Odom. Well, that's Jr. spectacular. I I adore Leslie Odom Jr. And I'm yeah. not like a Hamilton guy really, but I just think he has a beautiful voice. That man really also shines in this movie. He kills it. He's doing such a good Sam Cooke without making it feel like a caricature. Oh, yeah. Because as one of the more lighthearted, you know, characters in this film could have easily slipped into compared to all of the more, you know, really serious stuff going on between, you know, like Malcolm X and Cassius Clay. But it, he fits in so well in, in all of that. Well, I would say he has one of the best monologues in the film, really. Like, I think he, like the... Like about why he doesn't make that kind of music? Mm-hmm. And when he's talking, he's talking about the economics of being an African-American businessman and how just because he isn't, you know putting the messaging of the civil rights movement at the forefront he is paving a way for african-american artists uh for african-americans not only to be successful entertainers but also to make money and get what they're owed for their work and it's um and there's a really good line at the end of that where he says everybody talks about wanting a piece of pie well i don't i want the goddamn recipe it is just so good. It's just so well done. That goes on the list of, damn, that was some of the coldest shit I've ever yeah. heard. It's, it's so honest, though. All the stuff he goes into in that monologue yeah, is like, it, it definitely, you know, obviously this movie was made at this time for a reason, and I think that is still today such a... I don't know. It's something to think about, definitely, in that he puts such emphasis on the freedom of, like, being economically sound and how his business comes 
you know, so much first in his life because that's the only way that he can, like, reclaim that kind of freedom without having to, like, I don't know, still be under the the heel of white society. He get, He's feeling that freedom to, like, make his own way with his own art. It's... I agree, Garrett. It's an incredible, an incredible monologue. And then, um, real quick, before we move on from cast, the supporting cast in this thing is also insane. You've got Lance Reddick, who really has nothing to do. He's one of Malcolm X's bodyguards. Yeah. But he's just such a treat. He's such a good actor. You've got Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos as Cassius Clay's manager. You've got Lawrence Gilliard Jr., who is D'Angelo Barksdale on The Wire, is is on Cassius Clay's management team. Bo Bridges is in this movie for one very good scene where we meet Jim Brown. It's just a solid supporting cast. Everybody involved with this movie. Some, there's some real talent concentrated on screen. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, I think what I've been hearing is that this movie's getting Oscar buzz right now. Is that correct? I mean, absolutely, and rightfully so, I think, because I think all four of the lead performances are some of the best performances of 2020. I think that Kemp Powers' adaptation of his own play is really solid, especially considering the fact that, you know, we just talked about Soul a couple weeks ago, which he was brought in as a consultant on, and we, we mentioned this on the show, that he made such a vital contribution that he was bumped up to co-director on that so oh, i didn't even know this was his play mm-hmm. and so i mean i think he should definitely get an adapted screenplay nod i think regina king should get a directing nod it this movie is so solid and i'm so impressed with it and again i like i don't want to just be like the two adaptations of african-american plays that came out last year but like when when i'm looking at this movie in comparison to ma rainey's black bottom whereas that's an amazing film with amazing performances that feels like I'm watching a play that's been filmed, and this feels like I am watching a true adaptation of a play. Like, I really feel like they made it feel cinematic and that it was necessary for it to be shot as a film, if that makes sense. No, I I definitely get what you mean. Yeah, I I was just going to say, it's like, you can obviously still tell where all of these, like, theatrical elements are worked in to this kind of screenplay, but the fact that it isn't just a full, like, bottle movie in the hotel room, but still uses the hotel room and shoots it in such a way that it, it, it gives it that importance, even though it's not necessarily a vacuum of the setting, it, it feels, like you said before, Garrett, it's like it makes that world feel more alive than when you know you're watching a play, and it's such... I don't know, there's more of a sterile feeling because it is, you know, live staged in such a way that it, it has such that specific energy to it. But this is such a success as a film specifically. I, I don't know. Again, I just am blown away that this is Regina King's directorial debut. And again, she's done television. She's been working on television and film for decades, but the mastery of craft at work is insane. I like the way they say moose. <laughs> <laughs> Just their accents. I don't really hear people say it like that. I'm going to start saying it. I mean, wasn't... Where was Cassius Clay from? He was born in Louisville. 
Yeah, he's he's a Kentucky man. I'm sure that influenced the way that he he spoke like that. I don't know. I I do not have authority on that department. Like because also it's the way that Malcolm in this film is portrayed as saying. Oh, that's yeah. true. So I don't know if that means that that was a specific way of pronouncing it for you know the nation of Islam if if it's a truer pronunciation of how to say it in Arabic. Yeah, maybe, I, maybe like, that's it, because if they're on record as pronouncing it like Muslim, I'm sure uh, Cassius Clay got that from Malcolm X and other like prolific Islamic speakers at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is like them taking it more seriously and trying to pronounce it the way that it is meant to be. But yeah, just overall a super solid film, a movie that I wasn't expecting to be as good as it is, you know? Yeah, I don't like, know I expe- if I was expecting it to be, like, you know, as spectacular as it turned out to be. I, I guess I wasn't looking for something like that. And when it is historical fiction, because this is a meeting that never actually happened between these four men. Is that the thing? I thought it... I thought, like, they had met, but just, like, this isn't what happened. This is, like, a, a what-if that they have, like... I, I'm sure there was some kind of periphery. Am I mistaken? Isn't isn't this purely historical fiction? I'm looking it up now because I don't want to be wrong. But, basically, I mean, like, we... Even if the meeting did occur, it is definitely a... It is definitely historical fiction in that we have no idea what they talked about. Yeah, that's fair. This was, this movie is funnier than I thought it was going to be. Like I going into it, I expected like a full on like drama where everything's super serious all the time. But you know, there were there are moments where they're just kind of hanging out where you know, there's some funny bits in there of them just talking. Yeah, de- yeah. I mean, again, really well written. Just. A good balance of tone. Um, it has a really nice ebb and flow with its tension between its characters. It has enough self-awareness to leave the hotel when it needs to, you know, to not get too claustrophobic. I mean, I think we often kind of have this problem when we talk about good movie, like really, truly good movies on this show where we spent we spend ten minutes talking about how good it is, yeah. and then are just kind of like, yeah, it's just really solid. Like, I, there's nothing I wish this movie did differently, and I don't feel. It's just I'm very impressed with it. Yeah, man, I I totally know what you mean. There's something about a movie like this where it's genuinely, I don't know. We reviewed We Can Be Heroes a couple weeks ago. Like, we've been going on some <coughs> legit. Not great stuff. So this was such a genuine breath yeah, of can, fresh air. You can pull jokes and stuff out of that, and you can talk about that forever. But this is just like, yeah, like it's you, really like good. You, you should, should definitely it, see it. Not much yeah, exactly. Like, go watch it, experience it the way... It's got an incredible flow. It works even if you're not, like, super familiar with these historical figures. You'll you'll watch the movie just fine. And you'll you'll be, like... I personally think you'll be... You know, interested enough to go research these people on your own. For oh, absolutely, it's for it still being a work of fiction. It gets you really, you know, interested and invested in these actual people that are being portrayed as these characters. So it's it's a good point of just like just go watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Most people have 
Amazon Prime anyway. It's there's no excuse not to go and check it out because it's genuinely just a good film. And like we said, it's more than likely going to get a good amount of recognition during award season. So people are going to be talking about this anyway. You should you should catch up on it early so you can be part of the conversation. Yeah, what else? even came out in 2020 that can compete with this um i i really liked first cal that was my rec center uh a couple Mm. weeks ago um i mean ma rainey's black bottom i've brought up several times comparing it to this movie uh five bloods also starring chadwick boseman was a film i really liked no bad land which has come to hulu in february but yeah it's a really short list of films that came out in 2020 that were really solid. Not to say, not to say that there weren't plenty of good films in 2020, but that we can be heroes. This kind of caliber with this kind of Oscar buzz, there's not much. It like Invisible Man is a really good movie that came out in 2020, but it's not it's not anything like this film, you know. Mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog. That oh Jesus! I mean, I even mean stuff like, you know. Palm Springs or Emma, like good films that just like they aren't these kinds of prestige dramas. You know, I guess when I'm talking about the stuff that gets nominated for, Oscars, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, about. exactly. You get it. So yeah, uh, I mean, if we're wrapping up, then what do you guys have for double features? Um, I was thinking a lot. I haven't seen it in ages, but the Will Smith, uh, Ali, Muhammad Ali movie. I watched that pretty young. I had it on like VHS. It was pretty, pretty powerful stuff in that movie. It is like my first foray into like the actual history of Muhammad Ali, and I, I was thinking about it a lot when I was watching this movie, just because it does have a lot to do with Malcolm X and his, you know, transition into uh, Islam. So I think that would be an interesting watch back to back, considering Ali is a little more biographical i think in a sense it's a little more uh honest to the actual history of what was happening to him at the time that's a good pick seamus it would be two kind of long dramas in a row but i mean i think tonally it's it's an interesting pairing yeah i mean absolutely and we were kind of joking before the show about just you should do this movie and then watch all of the biopics for the four main guys like as like obviously i'm not suggesting that as a double feature i mean honestly it could be it would be a quintuple it could be any of those four movies though could be a double feature i mean i think it would be a very interesting way to kind of look at muhammad ali as a figure and then this movie kind of brings him and puts him in a larger historical context uh a movie that i was thinking about that isn't so directly tied in terms of content, but I think thematically and behind the scenes is very connected is, you know, we just mentioned Kemp Powers was a co-director on Soul who wrote this film, and I think it has similar themes about the function of how you choose to use your life and your influence on other people's lives. Obviously, with this film having a more focused Whoa. viewpoint on specifically the civil rights movement, given the characters and time period it takes place in. But And I think both of them deal with it, though, specifically through the lens of being an African-American. Like, what are your responsibilities to yourself and to your community 
um, as African American, and how do you use that influence to shape other people's lives? I think that's a good pick too, man. Ricardo, you have any thoughts on double features? Hamilton. It's Leslie Odom Jr. singing, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah, also sure. a play. I think you mean rapping, Ricardo. He sings sometimes. I think you, I think you mean rapping, Ricardo. I think you mean Ricardo. Ricardo. He himself does not necessarily rap, though he does appear in songs where rapping is. <laughs> that was so proper and specific. <laughs> I win again. <laughs> I never lose. I'm too good. I'm so pretty. <laughs> That's a really good moment in this film. I, I do just love the general <laughs> attitude of Cassius Clay in this movie. Is very, you know, one minute he's the most, you know, likable guy in the room, and then he gets he gets that classic cocky attitude that really, if anybody else did it, it would maybe leave a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. But he's, you know, that was his whole thing. He just, it, he was so cocky because he was so good, and he could kind of back it up. It, it, it was just played very well. Also, the fact that he can move like so perfectly like when he's in the ring at the beginning of the movie i mean that is not an easy thing to replicate the like that is muhammad ali's trademark all over the place yeah you're right he's he's got it down it's really impressive i wonder how long he studied to do that float like a butterfly yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so yeah good movie like hard recommend yeah for real go watch it right now Should we move on to our pop culture reference? Let's do it. Today's pop culture reference was filmed in front of a live studio audience. I never watched Seinfeld. What's the deal with dating high school? (laughs) It's like one time. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Ricardo, you crazy character. That is my job description here. <laughs> job description? How come you're never doing any work? <laughs> we did it, guys. We achieved comedy. Well, we were helped along by today's actual pop culture reference, the laugh track. So, back in the day, shows used to be filmed in front of live studio audiences who would react in real time as the characters made jokes, had big reveals, even maybe had a dramatic or tender moment or two. But then, as television progressed, and films became harder and harder to film in front of live studio audiences, they started to use canned laughter, or a laugh track, as it's called, which would be an audio recording that is inserted into a sitcom of an audience reacting to things. And, you know, this was pretty commonplace when we were growing up, I feel like. Like, we we were in the tail end of laugh track of the laugh track era. Mm. And now when I go back and watch things with a laugh track, it's, it really dates something. I think 
Oh yeah, I can't do it, man. If it's not Frasier, I'm not into it. But then you see stuff like the Big Bang Theory getting so popular for some reason, and they're like the most contemporary and popular thing that uses canned laughter. And that's the thing is, I mean, you see, canned laughter is definitely used as a crutch by a lot of not-so-funny sitcoms. And you see, like, there's a very popular thing on the internet where people will edit out the laugh tracks from sitcoms. And sometimes, like, a lot of the times, if you see Friends without a laugh track, it's actually still funny. But then you see something like Big Bang Theory where it's just nothing. Yeah, you're not even sure where half the punchlines are without the cue of the audience to be, like, (laughs) roaring with laughter. Mm-hmm. If the whole show was like that, I might actually watch it. Just, it's everyone's uncomfortable. <laughs> Ricardo, have you seen these videos? I mean, they they seem right up your alley to me, the videos of laugh tracks being removed from sitcoms. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of those. Just cause I, I just like, I love the tone they set up, because remove the laugh track, and all these shows just immediately, just like, these people are trapped here. <laughs> this is... This is terrible. I don't like it. That's that's a great idea for a horror movie that I would totally watch. But you mean you mean literally WandaVision, Seamus? Yeah, but I'm talking more like like Saw style horror. <laughs> it's like really dark and twisted. Like it's like Truman Show, but with a horror twist. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I'd watch that. That sounds funny. We could we, we could write it, Seamus. We could have a good time. Then we'll just get totally panned for trying to bite off the WandaVision <laughs> bit. Oh, that is precisely what would happen, but you know. And here's the thing with uh, the canned laughter. Uh, a lot of it, again, was originally recorded back in the day. So all those people are dead yep. every time it pops up. Cause they're not, they're not going to record new ones. They're just going to keep using the same ones from like way back when. So every time you hear a laugh track in something modern, all, all those people yeah, are dead. The, the laughter of just ghosts trapped on audio tape. It's very unsettling when you do pair it as a stylistic choice with something like WandaVision, which is why we bring it up. Yeah, WandaVision, the first two episodes were actually filmed in front of a live studio audience, which is actually one of the, I believe it's... One of the reasons that Deborah Jo Rupp of uh, That 70s Show fame agreed to be in the first couple episodes is because of the energy that a live studio audience brings to a production set. Which, I mean, I think there are things that have used laugh tracks well. I think Frasier uses laugh tracks extremely well, especially because so much of Frasier often will have low dialogue sequences where the laugh track is kind of used to fill the audio void. Um, I also think about Scott Pilgrim's laugh track sequence, mm-hmm. where when the when the burner on the oven is on, there's a laugh track, and it's all Seinfeldy. and then the second the burner <laughs> is turned off, it's just normal movie again. Yeah, love when they, you know, just slip into stuff like that in productions like Scott Pilgrim. And, I mean, there is a certain comfort and charm to it you know what i mean oh of course it it lulls you into you know having the feeling of at least humor is happening and then it kind of 
it brings you to that yeah. point where you're more willing to laugh along with a you know a crowd of like crying laughing people and then again that's what makes the uh, <laughs> cut like in WandaVision when things get weird and serious they cut the laugh track specifically in Scott Pilgrim when things needed to change that tone they cut it quick and that abrupt end is what really brings that uh it's like it's like whiplash you you get snapped back into reality that you're not actually laughing you're like just feeling like you're laughing yeah so a laugh track doesn't always have to be a lazy gimmick there are definitely productions like we just talked about that have found really interesting and exciting and effective ways to use it I don't like being told when something's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Who are you to tell me what's funny? Oh, it's the psychology of sitcoms, man. You've got to feel like you're having a good time. Ricardo, Bazinga is timeless. <laughs> oh, you go to hell. Pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop quiz. All right, boys, Ricardo is ahead 5-3. to three. It's been a couple weeks since we've had kind of a regularly scheduled pop quiz segment. You know, Diego was on a couple weeks ago, so we were doing something a little bit different there. And then last week, obviously, we had to skip it because I wasn't here. So, Seamus, it's finally time. You're going to get a shot. You're back in the race, you know. God, I need this, guys. I really need this right now. Okay, so, since Ricardo was the one who won the last time we had a regularly scheduled segment, Seamus, it's going to be your turn to pick the category. So, your options are either Willy Wonka or One Night in Miami. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Willy Wonka. Okay. You guys know the rules. Whichever one of you gives me the correct answer first gets the point. If you say it at the same time, or neither of you can guess it, we will move on to the tiebreaker question. Here we go. Who was one of the actors originally considered for the role of Willy Wonka in 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Red Pitt. <laughs> I'm trying to think of somebody that could be akin to the Johnny Depp weirdness. Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's either somebody perfect or somebody, like, way too big. So I'm going to say... Ah, damn it. And there there are multiple options here. So if you just give me... If you could just give me one of them. Denzel Washington. Go. James Spader. I would love to see him as Willy Wonka. Okay, I think I'm going to call it... Chris Ricardo's Evans. guessed a lot more, so... Sh- yeah, what? What are you going to say? <laughs> We're just going... I was going to Ricardo's guessed a lot more, so I'll give Seamus one more shot at it, and then I'm going to call it. Oh, damn. Okay, I want to say, like... Steve Buscemi. I'm just, yeah. I'm just thinking of people that I would want to see Willy Wonka as, I guess. No. You, got, you guys didn't even really get close, which I'm kind of disappointed by, because I think these are two pretty obvious weirdos you've got nicholas cage oh and jim carrey damn those... for a nicholas cage willy wonka movie 
Yeah, that would have changed that entire movie around. Holy crap. Damn, I'm disappointed I didn't get Nick Cage. God, that would have been so good. Oh, God, I'm not bringing my A game right now, and I definitely know a lot less about One Night in Miami. Well, that's your that's your tiebreaker, and if neither of you get it, there's going to be no point this week. Damn it, I'm just stuck. All right, well, give, give me the question first, and we'll see if I can get a little closer here. All right, here is the second question about One Night in Miami. At the end of the film, Jim Brown is seen on the set of a war film. What real-life classic is that supposed to depict? Oh, man, I know this one. It's, um... Oh, my God. I literally... Apocalypse Now. Wait, I know this one. It was, like, the first movie he ever did, because I remember seeing him... Oh, my God. The Dirty Dozen. In that movie... Ricardo got it! Damn it! Oh, my God. Pulling stuff out of your ass. Son of a gun. Have you even ever seen that movie? Nope. Damn it. I feel like an even bigger fool now. I'm just listing off war movies. (laughs) Oh my god. I I kept wanting to say the longest day, but I knew that was so wrong. (laughs) The longest day. Like, that's like the wrongest I could have been. Oh man. Is that like. That's early. I think that's. Before what what year did the longest day even come out? Like that like, was so much earlier than than, than this one. Oh. No, actually, it wasn't. It was only 1962, which still was like before like Jim five, Brown was five acting, years. But... Yeah, damn. I'm so far in the dust. I'm gonna need like an all or nothing round to catch back up. Yeah, no kidding. Because oh. Ricardo is ahead six to three. I mean, I Damn. guess, I guess, lapped me. we're talking about bringing in buzzers, so, be, which might give you a little bit more of the advantage, <laughs> because often, often Ricardo is, gets the point just by listing as many things as he can, as yeah. fast as he can. He, he thinks out loud, and I'm, like, struggling to, like, <laughs> cerebro the answer into my mind, and I just, he just gets it by the odds of naming stuff. It's a good strategy, it's working, I'm, I'm like far behind him well maybe maybe you'll get him next week Seamus or maybe you're just an idiot so uh, maybe next year uh. <laughs> all right guys let's move on to our new weekly segment now it's time for WandaVisionaries where we break down the latest episode of WandaVision this time it's episode three now in color man I Really liked this week's episode, guys. I, uh, I, granted, I really enjoyed the first two that they dropped on the premiere day, but I think we're, I think we're hitting a little bit of a stride now that we're, we've established some of the creepy rules and we're getting deeper into this mystery. I'm, I'm very into it. You know, I wasn't here last week to talk about the first couple episodes, and I'm sure you guys touched on a lot of things that I'm about to say, but I'm just gonna, I'm going to real quick come in with my thoughts just so we're all on like a level playing field. Not about necessarily the first two episodes, but just the way WandaVision is kind of trending for me. And, you know, I am intrigued by what's going on. But, I mean, everybody keeps calling it a mystery. And I feel like in order for there to be a mystery, there needs to be more clues. And I feel like 
this is the first episode where we've gotten substantive clues about what's going on at all. I was I was personally kind of underwhelmed by the first two episodes because I felt like they mostly felt like standard episodes of like a bewitched or an I Dream of Genie, and then only at a couple of key moments was there any kind of darkness kind of creeping in. I said this to Seamus last week, and I don't know if you ended up talking about it on the show, but that I thought WandaVision so far has felt much more like a show that's written to be binged, a show that's meant to be dropped all at once, but it's been forced into this kind of week-to-week model that isn't as cohesive to its style of storytelling. Yeah, we definitely brought that up on last week's episode. Um, They're obviously inspired by the success of how they released The Mandalorian, and like you said, it doesn't quite work with every style of story, especially one like this where we do get kind of a very small amount of clues or, like, actual important happenings per episode, you know? That being said, I was a lot more on board with this episode because I felt like we were finally getting into, like, actual substantive clues about what's going on, and... The other issue I've been having is I don't feel invested in the mystery because I don't like I don't feel like the characters are invested in what's going on. It just feels like sitcom stakes even though like even with darker undertones, I don't feel like the characters have been like actively engaged in what's happening if that makes any sense. And I feel like I don't understand what the characters are wanting from the larger narrative that's obviously at play. And again, this episode has kind of fixed that, where Wanda has a little bit more character, both in the in the sitcom world, now she's invested in these children. If they're real or not, that's kind of up in the air. But now she, as a mother, has kind of something to protect in the sitcom world, and in the, like, kind of, larger mystery narrative sense there she's really definitely starting to understand that something more sinister is going on and is also having more motivation to kind of inspect that and pursue that oh man okay uh should we just mark a spoiler here because there's a lot there's moments of very important things that happen in this new episode that kind of give a little more life to the first two episodes, in my opinion, and it's a little spoilery, and you know, a little bit yeah, over just, the line. Yeah, let's of... just go spoilers. All right. So, on your point of the idea of it being a mystery, I think that I thought I knew where it was really all going, and I kind of thought in the first two episodes that I kind of had a handle on the idea of the world that they're in and the, you know, the behavior that we're seeing from Wanda and Vision who are, you know, maybe the only two real people in this world or maybe there's only one of them that's real. Maybe none of them are real and it's a recreation. But towards the end, at the end of this episode, when we kind of get to see outside of the neighborhood a little bit, my opinion definitely shifted big time about like the grander scheme of things going on outside of uh whatever the town is called westfield 
West yeah, something yeah like Westview Westview Westfield something like that but uh we get our uh, now I'm forgetting her actual name in uh Captain Marvel Monica oh, Rambo Oh yes um Monica Rambo Yes we kind of get you know she kind of lets loose a little bit of info that gets her thrown out of Westfield by Wanda and at that point I thought we were going to get like oh sword is coming in to pick her up off the side of the thing her operation to get in touch with Wanda failed but it seems like very much enemy combatants have Wanda and are kind of doing this to her or Vision whoever and originally I thought that it was more of a allied operation to kind of get her to get out of her grieving state for Vision I don't know it's it's a little more intricate now that we see that Maybe she doesn't want to leave, or maybe she is being forced to stay and is being brainwashed. I I think that this episode adds a lot more of that into the mystery to make it more of an actual mystery. And definitely during the first two episodes, I was kind of under the assumption that this was going to end up being some kind of dream state, more or less. Mm-hmm. And like because it had the very, it very much had the feeling of something like a life on Mars, where. Maybe she's in some kind of weird coma or fugue state that this is all a fantasy that she's creating. But no, it looks more like it's a Truman Show situation. Yeah. There's a dome. Isn't it still kind of like a dream state? Because she's... You know, it's, the whole place kind of operates by dream logic, and she seems to be like fully in control of it. I Absolutely. Well, I don't know if she seems fully in control of it. I don't... Because mm. she, she I, seems as confused as some of the other people... She at moments, but then there are eject people. Though. Yeah, there are moments like that where she kind of has that dark look in her eyes when she's telling Vision, like, "Oh, she had to run home. She it was late for some or whatever her excuse is." It's just like maybe she does know a little bit more about what's happening. Maybe she's staying in this dome, being held captive because she gets to live this life with Vision and her new family. Yeah, considering the source, like, what the show is, like, taking as its source material, where, yeah, Wanda's not in her right mind, like, she might it's very possible she just, like, convinced herself this is real, and anything that could threaten that little idea that she has, it's out. There's no room for you here. That's the thing that I'm still having a hard time with, is that we are getting so little of any character's actual feelings or motivation that I'm having such a hard time speculating about what could be going on. Because I still don't understand how much Wanda knows about what's going on. How much Is Wanda afraid? Is Wanda wanting to be kept here? Because she seems like she has no idea about what's going on with the babies in this episode. And isn't able to control a lot of things like the stork. But then at the same time, you know, obviously there have been several times where she's rewound to go to a happier, more traditionally sitcom-y place. I mean, the beekeeper at the end of episode two, and then presumably when Vision has his little, like, reset thing where yeah, he, where first he... she glitches him out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, is that we didn't see her specifically rewind it, so I think it's kind of like we're taking that as the implication that she is controlling it 
But even that, I'm not really sure. Like, was it her glitching him out, or was it another thing glitching him out? You know? Yeah, I... I've got some... Yeah, that's a good point. Where, like, what do you, what they, do you got, Ricardo? They said, like, this is going to be connected to Doctor Strange somehow. And uh, having to deal with magic the way it works, at least from what I know in the, the comics, where it's like, doc, you know how Doctor Strange had to go. He trained years and years, intense study to learn magic. Wanda being a mutant, apparently her mutant ability is just like the ability to manipulate magic without having to learn any of it. So she has really no idea how it works or how to fully control it. And there's like a line from Doctor Strange in the in the comics where it's like, no, it's not chaos magic. It's not a thing. Chaos magic is just magic that's being used incorrectly. She has no idea what she's doing. She needs some training or she's going to destroy all of us. Interesting. That could be very interesting. Yeah, maybe that could go back to she's being held somewhere to be trained and then used as a weapon of some sort. There's the uh, very fun uh, commercial in this episode is a is a reference to Hydra's mind control soap that is introduced yep. in uh, Agents of Shield, and maybe they're slipping in these commercials a little bit to to give some hints about maybe I don't know how the Stark toaster you know comes into play, but so far it's been the other two have been Hydra influenced products in a lot more of a... Do you not remember her whole thing with Stark? No, apparently not. Yeah, in Ultron, she hates Stark and because... The bomb. He... Yeah. Sokovia was being bombarded with, like, uh, weapons and the bomb that, like, slammed into their apartment but didn't, like, blow up. So they just had to stare at it and, like, not really move for fear of, like, having it, like, explode on them. So they just have to stare at the word Stark Industries for most of their life as they lived in, like, fear. Oh, right. I am... Sorry, I think I only saw Ultron, like, once. But I do remember that story now. And I mean, like... Well, I... I don't... Sorry, Shane. I was just gonna say, in terms of the commercials, I get that that might be a little more of the connection there, but... I wasn't expecting another very clearly Hydra-based commercial in a row. I thought they were going to kind of keep it, you know, mixed up just for fun. But now I'm thinking that it might have a little more something to do with what's happening specifically to her in the situation. I also really don't fault you for not remembering, Seamus, because I think that genuinely she is one of the most underdeveloped and inconsistently developed characters in the Marvel Universe because her character in Age of Ultron and then her characters in the follow-ups like Civil War and Infinity War feel so far removed from each other, I think. Is it the accent? And that, Is it because she doesn't I was have gonna an say. accent anymore? <laughs> well, the accent, the accent doesn't help, but I also feel like I don't have a very strong idea of what her personality is, and that... A lot of the spark and spunk that she has in Age of Ultron is kind of washed away in Civil War, which I just, I don't, I'm not a big Civil War guy in general. I think the writing's not super great in that movie on any character. I could see that not really and, having like a, a real grasp of who she is when she's not kind of 
losing it in her TV land. And then in Infinity War, it and Endgame too, it feels like most of her character is just like I'm dating Vision. I was gonna say her whole character kind of gets uh, folded in with Vision when they start having their romance, and you know that's the entirety of their small part in Infinity War, and that's kind of the only thing that gets developed in Civil War. Even though there's the idea of like. They never really go too far with the idea that she is unsure about which side to go on. They kind of play with that for a scene, and then she's like, oh, I love Vision, and Vision's there for me, so I, yeah, whatever. And that's the thing, I feel like there is a lot of room in the, in WandaVision specifically to develop her character. And I'm excited to see what they decide to do with her, especially because I was really jazzed when they brought up her brother and like when i realized that she was having twins i was like oh wow this actually <laughs> this actually might be an interesting turd for her character yeah, to man. have did you, i would did you expect a, a friggin a quicksilver reference in 2021 i thought we had forgot about no. him as a collective yeah. because i don't think he's referenced in any film outside of age of ultron is he yeah i mean i don't think he is either which i I, like I mean, this. obviously, he appears in the post-credits of Winter Soldier, but you know yeah. what I mean. I like this for her character just because, it, oh, it does show, like, oh, yeah, she had a brother that she, that is dead now that she really hasn't shown any reaction to. Especially in Endgame, when she says to Thanos, you took everything from me, and it's like, did he, though? Yeah, he didn't kill your brother, the one thing that you were, like, seemingly most, you know, upset about having lost. I also like that like, her accent it, comes back when she says Pietro. Yes, I like that too. It made it feel a little bit more cohesive. But it's not even like Thanos sent Ultron, like he sent Loki. You know? Yeah, true. He literally had nothing to do with that. She should still be kind of pissed at uh, Tony Stark for Ultron, <laughs> really. Yeah, really. I guess he also made Vision, kind of. Well, he and Banner made Vision, and Thor gave Vision life i guess i don't I soul hate, stones involved i hate H1 i'm God. gonna rewatch just... <laughs> ultron because i remember liking it a lot actually at best it's it is all right it's not better it than hard it's definitely i the don't think least you know it's the it's the worst of the four like core avengers movies i don't think it's the low point of Marvel as a franchise, but I do think it is definitely the point where they're at their most convoluted and self-referential, which is things that I do not like about the Marvel films. Um, and so I think it has, like, the most of aspects that I dislike about Marvel in general. And so, to me, it just really sticks out as, yeah, I'm not invested in this. I think we all need to do a, a commentary track on Age of Ultron only and see how we feel in the moment. That party seems pretty good, that. though. Yeah, where they're trying to lift the hammer. That's that's pretty fun. I like that. Um, I don't hate the... Like, I like the... I'm always up for robot uprising. Like, I love a oh, good yeah, Terminator fight. And it's a pretty good Terminator fight when they're in the, the floating city, so... And I like the you walk out that door you're an Avenger scene. I know a lot. Of, I know a lot of people don't like that scene, but I think that's a pretty effective scene. 
And that's the first time that Hawkeye's ever given any personality, which I don't mind. I yeah, they, they do more with Hawkeye. I mean, what'd you say, I, Ricardo? I didn't know there was pushback on that scene. People think it, they don't earn it, and I'm like, does Marvel earn most things they do? <laughs> no. Like, I think it, it. I think it's a good scene. You know what? I think it's a good movie. I'm gonna say it. It's a good movie. Whoa! Sure let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm gonna go there, on bucko. record right now. It's not the best. It's not even the best Avengers movie, but I think it's a good movie. I'm a James Spader man. I I I melt when I hear that voice. He's my favorite Marvel hero, Spader Man. <laughs> you go to hell. <laughs> oh, real quick before we fully transition away from. WandaVision, because we might be wrapping it up here. Uh, one other detail I noticed at the end when Rambo gets bowled out of the city, or the, the town, when those uh, Humvees and stuff are converging on her location to like arrest her or whatever, we see that red helicopter coming too that's referenced yes, as the toy. And I just want to use this moment to bring up Another franchise with weird helicopter problems. The Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, where there is a weird helicopter crash sequence. Kill you. I We gotta do it somewhere, man. And there is a super anticlimactic emergency helicopter crash that barely gets touched on. They, like, use it as a, th- a third act stinger of, like... Is Christian Grey going to die in a sabotaged helicopter crash? And then he doesn't, and they don't show any of the survival stuff. It's very stupid. Shout out Diego Roman. Go listen to Live Action <laughs> Remake podcast. Go Diego watch Roman, these you, movies. You can go to hell. I just... We got two more weeks of two this. Two more weeks. So. I've got two for two. Bring it up. Helicopters in Seattle. So you boys better step it up. Back to You're actual the de facto winner stuff. now. Pretty much, <laughs> Uh, what'd you say, Back Ricardo? to the matter at hand. Right. You want to talk about sword real quick? Do you guys know what sword stands for? Oh, God. Uh, the, uh, not offhand. Yeah, I don't. I know they're the new good guys instead of S.H.I.E.L.D. In the comics, sword was kind of like an X-Men offshoot. Think S.H.I.E.L.D. button space. That was their whole deal. It used to stand for, sen- oh, is this- for Sentient World Observation and Response Department. So is it possible that this is connected to, like, Nick Fury's scroll vacation that he's taking? Oh, interesting. Possibly. But they did, they changed the name for the MCU. Instead of Sentient World Observation, it is now Sentient Weapon Observation and Response Department. Oh, well, there you go. Hmm. Sentient Weapon, Wanda Maximoff. And maybe also Vision? And maybe Quicksilver, if they bring him back, I can see that. That'd be get in. Actually, that's a good call. <laughs> like, Seamus. what if she Honestly, just manifests Pietro back? What if it's what's his name from the X Men movies? Evan Peters. Yeah, I would hate that. Oh my god. Oh man, <laughs> I just don't want them to do. I really do not want them I, to bring the X Men. There this is a at all. There is a clear option. So long, you you got to give the people what they want. The X Men, I do not think fit into oh yeah i have no idea how they the would MCU. do it but, like you know they're gonna do even it. even doing parallel dimension stuff i just don't think the tone works yeah there's so much like very you know important and pointed social commentary in the x-men that if there's any way for the to fit them in like naturally they would kind of have to take away from the idea of like 
there have always been mutants and mutants are like their own thing and you know instead they're just going to try to be like nobody knew until now and it's you know 2021 and it's going to kind of i don't know it well there's it the would House feel of weird M theory go on oh you don't know about that it sounds familiar what i know about uh, that well in the storyline house of m it ends with uh wanda saying you know what no more mutants and she like depowers a bunch of them except for like a, a select few that were in this magic protection bubble which is just a way for marvel to get rid of all the mutants they had created except for the and ones they wanted to keep yeah and it, there's been Hilarious. some theories floating around that what if she just pulls an inverse uh house of, house of m instead of <laughs> and just like screw it mutants everywhere yeah, where, like, she creates the mutants. That's a theory that's been floating around out there. Yeah, I could maybe see that, but I... I just don't know. I still just feel like X-Men is such a different property that I don't know how to successfully integrate it into the tone of the MCU. I, al- I but... almost wonder if there's a world where, in, in Multiverse of Madness, Wanda goes on this journey... And finds the like yeah I don't know finds the X Men universe, and they you know Michael Fassbender is there and she refers to him as the dad and maybe they get Evan Peters in there or maybe they get the other guy and they just kind of try to quietly make a side universe. When the Mar- when MCU decides to do X Men, I don't think they're gonna pull anything from the old stuff. It's it has to be like all all new. Yeah, I get, otherwise it would just be, like, the most insane way to try to get that in. The only thing I'd see them do is if they could get Wolverine into the MCU, like Hugh Jackman Wolverine. And I don't think they'll do it. Because I don't think... He says he can't, he says that's the only way he'd come back is to do an Avengers movie, but, like, I just don't see well, it. Well, we are also overlooking last week's news of Deadpool 3 being in the MCU now, so there is more, you know, license than there ever has been for them to make some, you know, yeah, stupid cameo joke that turns out to be, like, an in-universe canon thing that eventually brings about the X-Men, so... When I have to scrape through Deadpool 3... To talk about canon about the <laughs> X Men multiverse, that is officially when the MCU has jumped the shark for me. Because is it Deadpool three coming out really soon? Where you, where you go to for canon? They can pretty much do whatever they want. It doesn't really matter. Well, what does it even mean then that Deadpool three is going to be well, MCU? Well, because I'm guessing he'll have a line at the beginning that's like, "Oh, I know you. I know you're asking your boyfriend. Wait." Wasn't he in those other movies? And you and you would be right, but it doesn't really matter now. So here I am, like fifty bucks. That's like not too far off from the real opening lines. I don't know who you're betting against because I'm the one who said it. But you got any... Ricardo, you want to <laughs> take wanna... that action? <laughs> Two to one odds. You got any Wolverine casting ideas? You got anyone who you think could replace the great I Hugh don't Jackman? Do this right no. now. We we will come back to this <laughs> one day when Hugh Jackman inevitably dies and they have to recast him. He already said he... Like, I know he said he would consider it, like, years ago when he was like, yeah, if uh, Marvel ever acquires X-Men again, maybe, like, I would definitely come back. But that was, like, ten years ago, and they did Logan, and it was such a good... Ah, whatever. This is a different conversation. 
It's WandaVision, related. this week was good. <laughs> well, unless Hugh Jackman shows up on next week's episode of WandaVision, yeah. which I would what? love. Wanda's but... a mutant. I, kn- I know, but wasn't she always? But, like, she's also not in, like, in the new MCU, she's not a mutant, though. They never she's say what she is. Ge- well, they they say explicitly that they were experimenting with the Infinity Stone and gave them their oh, powers. Oh, yeah, that's like, right. Her powers come from whichever Infinity Stone they have at the beginning of Age of Ultron. I can't the keep red track, one? but... Is that chaos? Is it the red is that one? Chaos? Is that even one ether. of the stones? That's the ether one. It's the one that Natalie Portman's got in her for, for a while. Ray gives more credence to that House of M theory, I think. Now that I know that. Yeah, so I don't know, and I don't really care, to be honest. Yeah, we'll so... see. You know, however many X-Men they put in the MCU, that'll be the weird bridge we cross when we get to it. We'll see. I would be... I would have some fun if they fit in more mutant stuff into this show, but that's probably for farther down the line. Multiverse of Madness, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm assuming we're going to get some pretty crazy big reveal at the end of this series. Oh, yeah, they're going to set up. Doctor Strange shows up and he's like, we gotta go now. Ah, It's your kids, Wanda. (laughs) We gotta go back. Oh my goodness, if they do that, Seamus. I mean, oh my goodness, you're right. it's perfect. It's right it's, there for the it's taking. It's right there. I mean, I uh, we'll see. Disney, where are you at? Hire me. They're going to give Vision a stupid little like roofie that they give Jennifer and leave her on a dumpster in an alleyway just to be picked up by police. Or Vision is a figment of Wanda's whacked out magic imagination, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, see you next week, WandaVisionaries. <laughs> I still like that name a lot. My rec center this week is going to be the Penny Marshall film, A League of Their Own. I recently just rewatched this with my girlfriend Annie, who had never seen it, and it is just so good. If you have never seen it or never heard of it, it is about the Women's Baseball League that sprung up during World War II when... When all of the young athletic men were off fighting in the war. And it stars Gina Davis, Lori Petty, Madonna. Tom Hanks is the alcoholic washed up baseball player that is the team's coach. It's just a really good film filled with heart. And it's really funny. And it's just good. Like It's, it's hard to express exactly how good and simultaneously how 90s it is. It's got a killer early Hans Zimmer soundtrack that's indistinguishable from every other 90s movie of its ilk. <laughs> but it's still baller, so no pun intended. This is Yeah, this is one of those classics that I've, you know, it's always been around and I have like a peripheral knowledge of, but it's I've never really sat down and watched it. I, I love Penny Marshall. As a director, too. She she makes a very fun movie, so I I might have to sit down with this one soon. Please let me know if you do, Seamus, because it's real good. Let me tell you what it's streaming on, so that way if you want to go check it out, Seamus or the, the viewer. people at home, it is Rent or Buy. I own it, so I did not realize that. <laughs> you Never tease. Mind. So rent it. <laughs> rent it, though. Or, once again, support your local library. That's the, the underlying current of Save the Rec Center. What do you got, Seamus? Uh, This is one of the most bizarre movies I've ever seen, and I am a huge Charlie Kaufman fan. 
and he only makes weird stuff. I, I finally saw Synecdoche, New York for the first time with my older brother over break, and that was one of the biggest, like, mind-melting, weird twists that turn into just, like, a dream-logic-ridden psycho movie starring the incomparable Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's 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 just so bizarre and so well-written and so convoluted that it, 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 I might need to go watch it again soon because it is so confusing and weird, but it's an experience that I would recommend to anybody, really. It's, it's about a playwright who is, like, terminally sick, and then it basically just spirals out into his, like, memory loss and... Maybe his afterlife, or pre-life, or limbo, or his mind going. What it's it's very ambiguous as to what's actually happening, but it's I don't know. It's very incredible, uh, Ricardo. I remember fondly you sneaking into one of my film classes a couple years ago to watch adaptation in my class with me. <laughs> it's very akin to something like that, where it's just like a hat on a hat on a hat, but it's in a bigger hat somehow in the end it's 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 incredible and i would recommend it to anybody well i've always wanted to see that one especially because you know who doesn't adore the late film seymour hoffman he is oh my god he is one of the best actors exactly ever. and especially something like this movie phil say hoffman yeah phil say hoffman he's oh Something about him in this movie too. It's it's so focused on him as a character. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other characters are very, you know, Just less important. We but tear up at the same part of the show every week. Oh God, no one's gonna get that reference but me, Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, Synecdoche, New York. Ricardo, what do you got this week? You, you guys ever watch the Amazing World of Gumball? I've seen some episodes. Not even once. No? Nope. You're missing out, man. That show is goddamn hilarious. Which is not something you would normally expect from, like, I guess technically a kid's show. But it, it does not pull its punches in its comedy. Either. Yeah. It, it, now you, you were saying, you said, you said you've seen a few episodes? Yeah, I, I've caught a couple episodes here and there, and it's definitely one of those Cartoon Network shows that really kind of catch you off guard by the way they they tell their jokes and tell their stories because it's a lot more it's a lot smarter and more punchy than you'd expect it to be especially you know from a show about a cartoon cat family and a world of like sentient objects and different animations clashing with each other and seems very adolescent but it is like you said very very well done in its humor yeah, that's one of the big draws uh, for this show is like most of the characters are done in the different forms of animation. There will be like a 2D character that's classmates with like a stop motion character and like the bullies this big CGI dinosaur. It's a lot of fun. Fascinating. Where can we watch it, Ricardo? The whole thing is streaming on Hulu and HBO Max. Fantastic. I've, I, I've compared it before to kind of a more child friendly It's Always Sunny. Because sometimes episodes <laughs> just stop, and the characters are still in the horrible situations they've created for themselves. Well, that's that sounds like a time, then. Alright, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. You can find us on Instagram at that same handle, 
or you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode of WandaVision, or if you decide to check out One Night in Miami, we definitely recommend that one. Uh, but other than that, we'll see you next week. Adios, amigos. Goodbye. <laughs>